0: Welcome to Generous Impact. This is Brett Brummett.
1: And my name is Amanda Brummett. We are joined today by Jeff Middleton, co founder of Boise Vertical Farms. In this episode, you'll learn a little bit about farming and a lot about offering people in recovery a hand up. Boise Vertical Farms creates a safe community that provides hope and employment resources for individuals in substance abuse recovery through growing local produce. If you don't personally know someone impacted by substance misuse, it's truly hard to understand how difficult it is to obtain and keep employment both during and after recovery. The system is really stacked against them. I hope that today's show will give you a glimpse into the good work that they are doing and how it benefits all of society. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for being here with us today. Before we get into the details about Boise Vertical Farm, can you first share with us who you are, and uh, what your life looked like before Boise Vertical Farm.
2: Well, I have been clean and sober for 14 years. I struggled with drugs and alcohol for many years. Finally got sober and clean in my 50s, so I'm one of the older ones to finally get it. But I got it, and it appears to be sticking. But on my trip through recovery, I was given community service hours as part of my sentence for possession of prescription drugs. I was an opiate addict, had been an opiate addict for many years. Uh, Typical story started uh, with injuries and the like and uh, started on opiates and then fell into them more and more all the time. But of course, I was born with a disease of addiction, so it's stuck and it gets uh, and you slide in it deeper and deeper and deeper as time goes on. If you don't get it under control, if you don't get it handled, it will kill you. So it was actually a good thing. I got caught and got cleaned up, doing much better all the way around now. But on my way through, I was given community service hours, choice for community service hours were sorting used clothes, uh, sitting in jail or picking up trash on the side of the road and this does does nothing for people. This is not something that gets them <clears throat> toward recovery, gets them out of the use of drugs and alcohol, gets them thinking of their life in general, getting them cleaned up. Most people relapse right away any type of recovery program you've got it doesn't matter what the recovery program is. You've got a one in six chance of having getting away clean uh, for long term, which means that you have a five and six chance of relapsing, and that's usually what happens: is we we put people through the the program, then turn them loose, and <clears throat> they relapse. So, in the time that I was coming through, I. Trying to think of other ways that we could give things for people to do that they might get interested in and do more for trying to keep people clean and sober uh, long term.
1: Wow. Well, a couple of things. One, as, as somebody with several loved ones that have suffered with addiction, I appreciate that your approach and even the language you use. I, I love that you pointed out that you were born with this disease. It's a disease, and then there, you know, was a catalyst in your life—an injury that that led to that. So, I, I think that's that narrative is really important to explain. And then also, just so our listeners know, you know, Jeff, you're you're not a a random person. You you are intelligent. You've got an MBA. You've got a pharmacy degree. Can you give us a little bit of your professional resume so they understand what kind of person put this together?
2: Well, yeah, I've been mostly retail pharmacy for good portion of my career. I went back to school in my 40s. I wanted to get out of retail pharmacy because being around pills all the time just just didn't do it for me. I think we're way, way, way over in the amount of pills that are prescribed, how many people use. There's some remarkable pharmaceuticals out there, but I mean, when I was, it's different now, but when I was in it, opiates were unbelievable. I mean we we shoveled them out the we shoveled them out by the by the truckload to people. Most of the people addict were addicts. Uh, when I was I was working as an addict, uh, I was a high functioning addict. Um, but along the way I I tried to get out of it. So I went back to school, got an MBA and the clinical information systems. <clears throat> So I was trying to get into the IT department of hospitals and healthcare organizations to build software programs for doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and the like.
0: Which which is quite a jump. I mean, to look through professional career recovery, trying to go out through the IT route, which makes me wonder where along the way did that shift to you know, forming the idea to use a farm as a vehicle to start a second chance employer. Okay.
2: The, actually the idea started, I was over skiing in Jackson hall and they have, it's called vertical harvest over there. And it's three floors of a rotating uh, conveyor belt sort of operation that uh, grows greens, microgreens, tomatoes, vegetables, in the middle of the winter in Jackson Hole, which is quite a feat. It's three three floors on the end of a, a parking garage that the city of Jackson gives the organization Vertical Harvest. The conveyor belt rotates through the sun and then back up to trays, and the trays are made so people in wheelchairs can scoot up to them and, and work the vegetables. The their thing, vertical harvest, is their their social enterprise part, is people in wheelchair, wheelchairs and physically handicapped. So they take people from the area and, and employ them in their warehouse, growing things. So I saw this, I thought it was a fantastic idea. So on my way driving home, I figured, you know that that we could do this, do the same thing in Boise, and we could easily match it with recovery and put together a program. We do things, we do a lot of things different than vertical harvest. We're not for profit, they're for profit. Uh, we went non-profit because of the ability to get funding through grants and donations. We grow in towers and we grow flat. Major difference between Jackson Hole and Boise is Vertical Harvest in Jackson Hole started with $3.8 million. We started with $380. So that's 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 the big difference between the two living areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's how I put it. That's that's That was kind of the start. So when I got back, my co-founder and I got together and uh, figured out how we were going to put this together.
0: And then at what point did you want to make it? A second chance employer, and not just a, you know, a farm through a recovery process or program.
2: Well, the the it came came about with access to labor force. Uh, we get our labor force from the court systems, gem County to to Elmore County and everything in between. They come to us with communi- requiring community service hours as part of their sentence so we essentially get the labor free to us with you know a few requirements and stipulations, but it allows us to go ahead and do farm work, farming growing and the like without having to spend huge amount on payroll. Gardening and you know urban farming are things that are easy to teach. We can do it, we do some hydroponics and aquaponics and towers and the like, so we have a small footprint, so it doesn't, not a lot of land costs, not a lot of water costs, so that's how we came around to do it the way we do it, is mostly because of access to the labor force that we
1: have. And then, Jeff, can you explain to our listeners who who you target to be your labor force and why? Such a unique opportunity to to work at Boise Vertical Farm as opposed to their other community service options.
2: The unique opportunity with Boise Vertical Farms is you can, you know, during during the right time of year, you can work outdoors. You get the chance to work with plants. You get a chance to grow food for others. And that's, that's a key to help prevent relapse is getting people to do things for others and get out of themselves. Addiction is a very self-centered disease, isolating. We try to get people involved and get them to communicate, socialize with their peers. We we try to have people work in all areas of our operation. We teach a lot of new and different things, alternative farming, environmental. We try to do Everything in a in a cycle, as in that we can use what we discard, we try to find another use for to use again and keep it going, so we reduce our footprint and
1: then it's the idea that this looks good on the resume, but also is the hope that they can then find employment in a farm in boise
2: it, and it's more than that uh, we do have a lot of people that when we do get payroll, we'll move them up in our organization, and there are other farming operations coming along that that are doing hydroponics and aquaponics. We've we've got in the future we will see some larger operations and our goal is to become the larger operations farm club. So we can take in people and teach them the basic and turn them loose. To me, in an employment world, we can do the perfect vetting for people to get ready for another level most of the people that we get from the court systems are 20s and 30s most of them need some direction most of them need something something that that interests them more than drugs and alcohol you know you've you've got to have choices in order to give something up to get some something else that that's better but we 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 try to move people along and the, and the key is keeping people clean and preventing real.
0: I know you mentioned that the majority being younger side of the workforce, your year in letter also, you know, went through the fact that the majority are also, you know, the 20 to 30-year-old female. Do you know what the mechanism is that causes that to be the candidate for community service specifically?
2: Well, yes. In Idaho, we do mandatory minimum sentencing, which means that if you're in possession of X amount of drug, and the law allows Y amount of drug, so if X is greater than Y, you are considered a dealer. So <clears throat> most of the people that get nailed for mandatory minimum sentences are not criminals. They're more than likely addicts, very, very likely they're addicted to substances, but they are not selling. They're, they're personal use, but mandatory minimum sentencing are like fishing with a net. You get everybody. You get, you get everything, not, not just the what you're looking for. The idea that they're trying, that the legislature is trying to do is to capture people who are selling and get them off the streets. Great, but mandatory minimum sentences don't work. California, Oregon, Washington gave up mandatory minimum sentencing 20, 25 years ago. So we we capture a lot of people in that net. Idaho incarcerates more women by far than any other state in the United States. And that's why we have so many women in this age group that are that are stuck in prison a lot a lot a lot of times they come with small children so you know that that's why we are 60% women 40% men in our program i think is because we we have that's who's coming through the the system the system you know of course rather than being in the child business because Something has to. The children have to go someplace while mom's in prison. They 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 push the. They try to get women through and out the out the front door, so they the state doesn't have to provide everything for the children. Well, we we they get to the front door, you know, of whatever jail they're stuck in, and the system says, "Go out, live long and prosper." Well. They don't have skills, they don't have transportation, they don't have money. That compounds the problem. You go back to using, you go back to what you know, if you've got no place else to go. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that that's why, I, I think that's why we see many more women than men. Yeah.
0: And is that the, I mean, I'm assuming, but I want to also give you time to explain to the rest of us, you know i saw that your second initiative for the farm is to provide employment resources especially child care what is, is child care the biggest employment resource you actually see that's needed
2: no actually bigger than than child care is transportation hmm. transportation is you know is always a problem because people have lost their license they can't afford a car, they can't afford maintenance on a car, they can't afford gas. We have access from uh supporters for bus fare, but and we can hand out daily bus passes for people to get to us. We have a bus stop right across the street from the farm, you know. But the problem is, is in order to get to us in Northwest Boise from Southeast Boise. It takes an hour and a half, two hours, three bus transfers in order for them to get to us. So transportation is probably top on our list. This is something that we would like to partner with people in order to solve this problem. The second thing is a poor work history. A lot of times people to work in a place that's easy to get work. And last until the first paycheck, and then they're off blowing the paycheck up their nose or whatever and and you know and go from job to job, so they particularly target jobs that are easy to get, and that works out for women in particular it works out fast food, back of a restaurant the th- sort of things where people you know very transient work population they come and go rapidly. That's that's the next thing. And then for what I found for me was a drug record, I was having rest record. If you have to check, I've been arrested on the, the application or during during fact finding when you're applying for the job, background checks, it always comes up and it always gets you every time. So yeah, those are primarily the things that, that we look child care is going to be a real challenge. So, but that that's not first on our list, but we'll get there.
0: Okay. Yeah, and the background check piece. I mean, that that excludes entire industries of work from somebody.
2: Yes, exactly. And it follows you forever.
1: Yeah, for sure. So, Jeff, one of the things I've been thinking through and and again, I'm in healthcare, so most of the people that are working in recovery, they're doctors and nurses, and we've actually got some pretty good programs for that here in Texas. But as the employer, you have to be incredibly thoughtful about how you set it up. So when I was thinking about Boise Vertical Farms, I'm curious: when you have an entire workforce that's in recovery, how does that impact your organization culturally? Like, if somebody doesn't show up for work, do you go to their house to make sure they're safe? And if someone's having a rough day? Is there a word to say? I really want to use. Can somebody help me? Do you plan for higher absentee rates? Just what what kind of dynamic does it create?
2: Well, lots of dynamics, and the key and the the key to working with the population is patients. because these folks are in early recovery. A lot of them been using off and on for se- for several years. When when you're in when you're an addict the whatever substance you're using it doesn't matter what it is it alters your brain chemistry so people are coming off the whatever drug they've been using and abusing and they're having a hard time functioning and finding their way around you know i mean yes i check on them if they don't show up i'll check on them if if they've got a couple missed dates with us we have the ability to go back to the judge, the judge that's operating the, the case in whatever court it is, and say, hey, judge, this, this person hasn't been towing the line, and they will sanction them. They will give them something somewhat undesirable to do. So, you know, I mean, we try to stay away from that because our goal is to is to put this behind you. You know, everything that we do in recovery is punitive. We put people in jail. We give them, I mean, even community service hours are punitive. I mean, a lot of times they don't want to be working with me. They'd rather be doing something else, you know, and we'd rather give them something else to do to say, hey, put this behind you from, you know, we don't care how you get here, but let's get out of this. whole and move forward. It's an interesting population to work with. We find that for our second initiative, that for, you know, as far as employment resources are concerned and training, teaching, education, et cetera, et cetera, we, we, we want to bring people in to find a career, something that lights them up, something that gets them going, something that they, they can invest in. So, yeah.
0: That's pretty cool. We talked before the show and you'd mentioned to us that, you know, the farms are in a neighborhood and you work with landlords and other individuals in the community. I'm assuming that that interaction brings a different context to the the workforce at the farm and the neighbor and the neighborhood in total and really gives it a community feel is that the case
2: well yes yeah we the the neighborhoods we're in we 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 make sure that the neighbors know what we're doing Mm -hmm. you know we don't want it to be a surprise to anybody that the people that are coming in have been in trouble with the law but what really works for us is showing the people that are the neighbors and the like, and the, and the communities that we're in, that we make these people work. We we don't have people sitting around. We've got, when they come to work, we've got plans for places for them to be, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't try to do anybody in, but I hand people shovels and say, let's, let's go. And I, and I, I keep them moving. So mm-hmm. we make people sweat, you know, and, and there's nothing better than that to, and sometimes people don't come back because, you know, they they're not ready. You know, we're only only one in four of the people that we get are really ready to move on. And those are the people that we invest in first. And second, we keep an eye on everybody. But I can guarantee you the ones that aren't ready, we'll see them again. They'll be back. They always are, so. But it the changes the dynamic in that. On the positive side, it gives us the chance to show the neighbors and the like mm-hmm. that these that they're you know, when when they're looking at when they're looking at me, they're not seeing a street person. They're seeing somebody that's that that's done some things, done some really stupid things, and done some okay good things, but. We want to show that that the, the typical idea of the homeless, alcoholic, drug addict and the like is really not, doesn't really apply in what we're trying to do. We have had physicians through our program. We've had lawyers. We've got electrical engineers. We've got re- real estate people. We've got nurses. We've got, you know. So we've seen some pretty darn high-functioning folks. They just happen to have the disease of addiction, and that's what we're trying to teach: is that you wouldn't send somebody to prison for having diabetes. Why do I go to prison for having a substance
0: abuse problem? That, that's awesome. That's great to see that the the neighborhood and the neighbors really starting to embrace and, and change that attitude. Well, we we try to get them to interact.
2: We have, we'll have on on the. We have summer concerts concerts. We'll bring in a band, they're they're non-alcohol, they're they're clean because they have to be. But we'll bring people in, we invite the neighborhood to come, interact, talk to people, and it's amazing how interesting the neighbors find the the people that they've got next door. In fact, the neighbors show up to to see these people and visit with them. So yeah, we're we're trying to to change that paradigm of that we're we're all hardened criminal
1: yeah we're not it's a lot less scary for people when they see a, a face and a name behind it yeah so i am curious your your people that work there together as they start to really get to know each other and show up more often in particularly the ones that are ready to be in recovery do you find that they end up holding each other accountable that it's almost like a an intentional support group
2: that is where. That's exactly where recovery happens. Exactly the best part of recovery is we get a lot of community support. A lot of community volunteers. These are people who like to garden, like to garden, and have a history of drug issues. They're clean, long-term clean. One of the keys to our program mm. is mentorship. So we bring in the we bring in the mentorship, and we have. People work together and they talk. And that's where recovery happens is they're talking about their issues, they're talking about their problems, they're asking for advice on how to solve this, that, or six other things. But the mentors who have been through this or are a little older, a little more mature, you know, they we don't try to force this down anybody's throat because that's the old way of doing it. We try to say, okay, you might try this or not, but I can tell you what will happen if you don't try this, you're going to end up (laughs) in jail and you could potentially die young, you know, but it's up to you how you want to live your life. So, but that is a, that's a real key. That's another key part of is communicating with people who have experience and having mentorship.
1: Sure. That's a beautiful approach. So Jeff, you have accomplished a lot already in just a few years. What's next for Boise Vertical Farm?
2: Well, our we're, we're we're doing well with our first goal. When we started out in 2019, we set three goals. Goal one was getting a workforce coming consistently, and these are the people that that are coming for community service. We'll, we'll select on average one out of four of those people who are ready to move on who have interest in in picking up and getting additional education additional we, we would really like to work in the trades there's something like 400,000 trade jobs that go unfilled skilled trade we found that there's quite a few women who are moving into some pretty heavy trades like Heating, HVC, uh, truck driving, you know, some of the traditional male things, carpentry and the like. So, we're hoping to that with their need for people to work, we can move people into train and have that move through. You know, nothing against fast food or the like, but that's typically where a woman ends up and the environment isn't necessarily clean and sober so you're exposed especially if you're working in a bar pub or whatever you're working around people who are using you're working around people who are drinking you're always around alcohol it's not a great environment and the hours are horrible if you have little kids you know you you're working nights and you know and that's that doesn't help much so but yeah, so we're working along to get to that second step. We're applying for grants to help us fund that and get that next step off the off the ground.
1: That's incredible. You you bring up a good point in you know what kind of job the person gets into, and I know the numbers are hard, and especially with the population you have. But do you have any idea of like what your success rate is versus like somebody ends up at a restaurant or something like that?
2: well we have to we have to do much more for seeing where we're at and how we're doing i mean we're working on a follow up program and and that's one thing that doesn't happen nowadays you know with with the way the system is now there's no follow up you don't know what happens to these people until you see sit, sit, see them come back to jail and they often and they do of course a lot but the we need to follow up. We're working on a program where we can reach out to people and say, Hey, how's it going? How are you doing? You know, any, anything we can help you with. So we're working on that in 2022. We had 30, I think it was 35 or 36 people through the program from court systems. And we had all but four finish their hours and stay clean. We had four, we lost four two of them we know relapsed and went back to it two of them just disappeared i mean this this is a transient population so tracking is 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 tough but we know that we're having better results than the national average and to me 1 point better than national average is worth doing and we we do it I, th- I think the answer for doing it and being successful at it is one person at a time. The capture everybody, do everything for everybody all at once doesn't work. These people are individuals, and each problem is, 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 a, is a personal issue, is a one-person sort of problem. They might be repetitive, but in the person's mind, they're unique you know that they they're the only ones that had a rotten childhood they're the only ones that that this that and 20 other things yeah so that's what we're continuing to work on
0: that's hugely inspiring and thank you for doing that one of the curious questions i always have especially when someone's out there you know changing their little corner of the world what i mean i know you mentioned the vertical Harvest earlier, but who or what other organizations do you draw inspiration from to keep doing your work and stay vibrant?
2: One in particular, and one we've been working with since the very beginning, is Unshattered in New York. It's way outside New York City. It's it's a it's a burb, but it it was started by a woman who is you know a physicist or something like that highly, highly educated, no family whatsoever involved in drugs and alcohol, but she started this organization and Unshattered deals with women who, particularly on women who have been incarcerated. These are women from prison and she'll, she takes them in, teaches them how to repurpose things out of used leather, used fabric, and the like, and they create handbags, personal items, gifty items, decorating items. You know, they, they they teach them sewing skills and the like, and then they turn around and sell these in boutiques in New York City. And it's a it's a big deal because it's you know it's it's it draws people, and she has been extremely successful. But we follow, you know, we followed a lot of what she has done and the way she's organized things from the very beginning and we stay in touch pretty regularly but that is one unshattered they have a great website check them out another one that that is one from here in boise it's called rolling tomato that one is food recovery so her name is julie that runs rolling tomato she goes out and she finds people to donate produce Grocery stores, people like us, we donate to her when we have excess produce. We'll we'll give up our produce to her, but she keeps food out of the landfill. Food that is still good. It may not be beautiful, but see, as consumers, American consumers are
0: are picky. Yeah, we need a pre- we need a pretty apple, not an ugly one.
2: Yeah. Exactly. You you can't have a tomato that has a bruise on it because you couldn't possibly just cut that off and use it. You know, it's got to be perfect from the store now, and apples. You know, you can't have a mark on them and all that other stuff. So she last year, she repurposed three hundred and eighty five thousand pounds of food and she sends it to uh, pantries, kitchens, veterans organizations senior homes but the whole thing is is a matter of network she's got a network to draw from and she's got a network to deliver to and yeah she she runs the food in between so that works out to about a quarter of a million dollars in unwasted food food that that ended up being consumed before it went to the landfill so that's another organization
0: super inspirational if someone's listening what can they do to help contribute towards your mission
2: well write a big check write okay. a big check <laughs> and send yeah you know, the yeah our what the produce that we that we grow and we also have a wood shop we put people in the wood shop to build things out of recycled wood we have planters and we have all sorts of cool things uh, but what we grow and what we sell uh, account for 50% of our operation fund, uh, expenses so the other 50% we make up with grants and donations so we always as with any nonprofit we always have a cash flow problem it's it's just it's really hard to stay in front of the curve as a small nonprofit a dollar 5 dollars 7 figures Anything around that area works really well for us. For people in Boise, come and see us. uh, We do farmer's markets. We sell our our goods at Boise Co-op. That's our local long-time health food store in Boise. We have a market online. You can order online. We'll ship to you. Just support us in what we do. The people that we're involved with, don't want a handout. They just want a hand up. They just want a chance, and that's where second chance employment comes in. Mm-hmm. You've burned all your bridges. Nobody will have anything to do with you, and you have. And we give a chance to to help get people m- moving, moving forward, keep people clean. So the idea is a hand up, not a handout.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for your story, your efforts, and your time, and thanks for joining us.
2: You betcha. Thank you. I appreciate you giving me a chance to talk about what we do and what we want to do.
1: What an incredible program and approach to recovery. I so appreciate Jeff's transparency about his own struggles, his commitment to help one person at a time, and the way he is changing how people view humans with the disease of addiction. If you'd like to learn more, find them at boiseverticalfarm.com.